0: Hello, RP people, and welcome back to another episode of Roleplaying as Smart People, the podcast where we pretend to know where to talk about when it comes to all things tabletop. My name is Santa, and thanks for tuning in again. Joining me, I got Finder. Hey, Finder. Hey. Hey. <laughs> uh, how's it going today, man? You know, uh, I woke up at 3.30 this morning,
1: so afternoon nap was fabulous. I'm doing better now. <laughs> things are great.
0: That's nice. I fell asleep at like 10 and didn't wake up till 10. It was an excessive amount of sleeping, but I think I needed it if I really slept like that.
1: Um, And you're feeling
0: better? Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm a lot better. I still have, like, a bit of energy kind of issues. And I get a little bit scatterbrained. So if I'm a little scatterbrained this episode, guys, um, that's normal. But I'm going to blame it on something else today. Um, (laughs) But anyways, on this uh, episode, we decided we are going to talk about session zeros. Because... um, Well, apparently Finder has thoughts on it that he's not willing to share with me. Uh, And I love him. So let's start with the first question. Finder, what do you think the purpose of a Session Zero actually is?
1: Okay, so let's get into this. Initially, so growing up, we never did Session Zero. Yeah. Ever. And I don't know if that's just me and my group of friends or if that was standard. And as I was thinking about this topic, my my assumption is session zeros weren't needed back in the day because D d was dungeon delves. All the pre-written adventures were basically dungeon delves. and it wasn't until later when they started having story type modules or um things like that where you didn't have to worry about it. You knew, okay, we're gonna go delve this dungeon. We're gonna need people who can fight. We're gonna need rogues who can or thieves who can find traps. Uh, magic users, healers, that sort of stuff. So it's kind of like... You think about it, and I, 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 I hate myself for even saying this, but it is the predecessor to a lot of the RPG video games, of course. Because, I mean, now, I, I look at things like League of Legends, and all the conversation at the beginning of the session, before the game starts, is, okay, I'm going to play support, I'm going to be this character, I, I, you do this character, and and there's a planning of sorts for that video game. And I recognize League of Legends is not an RPG. Okay. I I, I understand that. But that same sort of mentality. And now as I have gotten into, or I've gotten older, I do see a need for Session Zero. Mm -hmm. And why do I see a need for Session Zero? Because all of my friends are completely screwed up. What I mean by that, we wanted to play a star Wars game and two of my buddies. So my brother-in-law was like, Hey, I want to, I want to GM star Wars. Great. Let's, let's do that. And no conversation about what type of adventures we were going to go on. Nothing like that. My two friends, like, let's play cosmic garbage men. We just haul trash around in space. And I'm like, Okay, that doesn't sound very fun to me. So I'm going to play a guy who thinks he's a Jedi but has absolutely zero <laughs> force ability. Yeah, and I, I, I'm I'm thinking about that for the for my brother-in-law, the poor guy. He now has to come up with a game that supports those three oddball characters that have no purpose in a Star Wars universe with the dark force or with the dark side and all that sort of stuff. And fortunately he ran with it and he did a good job and as i think about it as the gm had i known that, that i could have come up with a way to get people into a star wars type story but if we had known what type of story he was interested in telling we could have created characters to support that and so what i've started doing with my own group especially with my kids is like having a conversation like okay I want to run this kind of game, what do you all think? And so we start coordinating before the game even starts so people can build characters, one that will mesh with one another. Um, Which isn't to say that the characters have to all get along and there can't be any inter-party conflict or tension, but understanding that this is the type of game we want to play allows them to create characters that are, one, interesting to them, fit within the conceit of the game as Scott is fun of saying and still allow us to have that freedom to go outside of that stuff right so we can still do a sandbox or a sandbox theme park or whatever you want to call it Mm -hmm. but at least there's a framework for it this is where my head is at as a GM these are the types of games that I want to see I want to see this type of um, adventure there's going to be some Dungeon W I want to see some political intrigue I want to see you guys heading up an army but I mean, like, if Tolkien were running a game, would he have been able to write Lord of the Rings with players without a session zero? Probably not, because they would have been completely. They, they would have turned into the Monty Python Holy Grail yeah. that so often happens with games now. So,
0: hmm. so I was kind of thinking because, like you said, your group doesn't really use session zeros or anything. We do, like that? we do now. We do now. We didn't. Yeah. Oh, so, okay. The the,
1: the past. <laughs> year or so is when i started doing session zeros or starting to see the value in session zeros
0: yeah but
1: that's that's like i said that's why the past year or so after 30 40 years of gaming
0: yeah um it's interesting because like even i was kind of just thinking myself uh with session zeros we didn't have session zeros before but we had character creation sessions which Mm -hmm. is Essentially, it's the exact same thing. It just didn't have an, like an official name at that time. Um, I'm actually slightly curious when Session Zero even pop, started popping up. But um, when I think, uh, I'll get to my own kind of thought process on what the core purpose of a Session Zero is. And I, I think it is to set the, set the tone, make sure everyone's on the same page for what kind of story it is. So I'm agreeing with you on that. Uh, but I also think it's towards helping people build cohesive characters, almost giving you a leg up at the beginning for role play, since you already have a dynamic kind of setup, which was based off of the information learned in session zero.
1: Yeah. Well, now I'll say, though, the interesting thing is back in the day, it was a trope. In fact, we had it called the Bar of Infamous Meeting because every group would just meet in a bar. That they weren't a cohesive unit before the game started. And it wasn't until later where you start seeing that sort of thing come up a little bit. Like Coriolis, Coriolis, the the rulebook, has character creation. If you want to run Coriolis, rules as written, the group is supposed to create characters together. Yeah. And the reason for that is, as a group, they have to decide what type of group are they. Mm-hmm. what are the what are the bonds between the group so that there's, there's some of that stuff built in already but Coriolis says well you can be mercenaries you can be merchants you can be this you can be that there are different types of groups that you can be and depending on that group there's a group talent so in Savage Worlds terms think of that as a group edge so everybody in the group gets that same edge and you all can use it yeah. and if you want to get a new group edge everybody in the group has to agree to it but those are things that can affect the group as a whole. Mm -hmm. And that's probably one of the most frequently used talents that my kids had when I was running the Coriolis game was the group talent. But that same character creation session, when you decide what type of group you want to be, that can also affect what type of ship you start out with. And, And so I'm starting to see that with games now where they're like, hey, build your characters together. Back in the day when I was growing up, we initially built our characters together, but that's because only one of us in the group had the book. <laughs> and it wasn't until later when we all started getting our own books that we would start we would come to the table with four or five different characters already created. and um, say, I'm gonna play this guy now. And again, we would okay, you're you're in a bar, and none of you are together, and this thing happens, and you all know, okay, well, I gotta go help that person. And that's how you get the group together was by some weird thing happening that brings all three or all of these disparate characters together. So the character creation session wasn't even a thing much back in the day, if if everybody had their own copy of the book.
0: This actually brings up a really interesting kind of set of dialogue because my question to you, especially since, you know, you played before session zeros became a thing Mm -hmm. to now Uh, well let's clarify
1: i'm assuming all the people of my generation uh, were in that same sort of thing i don't know (laughs) no no (laughs) i'd be interested to hear if people are but yes me and my group definitely prior before session zero became a a codified or recommended thing even so anyway go ahead sorry i didn't mean to interrupt
0: no i I was going to say do you think more especially as the hobbies kind of evolved and changed over the years would you say that like before it wasn't actually necessary, and now as things have kind of changed, it has become a- actually almost necessary. Yes, like, it,
1: it, because back in the day, basic D and D, expert D and D, and even first edition, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, most things were dungeon delving. Huh. I, I mean, every GM I knew course that was a small group of people but all the gms i knew would sit down and make dungeons on graph paper just so they could run people through it and there was very little story involved now that's not to say there wasn't any story because i look at like my brother and and they came up with these cool stories in dungeons and dragons but it still ultimately revolved around dungeon delving you were adventurers yeah. out doing this thing and that was that was the main point of it was to go and I suppose I should say the other thing about those old D D games is the puzzles were there for the players to solve, not necessarily the character.
0: Yeah. Right. Hmm.
1: So oh, it's so, it, oh, go ahead. No, as tours um, from Gary Gygax. That whole thing was about challenging his players, and I'm frozen, haven't I?
0: Your your camera is frozen on probably the best picture I've ever seen. No,
1: no, that thing is stupid.
0: No, no, no. It's 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 fucking golden. I love it. Um Okay, well now I'm as I'm looking at you with it looks like you almost have like your hands at your hips and you're kind of just like, Well let me tell you. You're um off my lawn. <laughs> but, Get um, out
1: of here with your 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 damnable video games.
0: As you're the one who brought up video games in this one. (laughs) Uh, League of Legends out of all of them. That one, I I have... Oh, camera dropped. Yes, because I wanted wanted to get (laughs) unfrozen. Or unfrozen. But, um... Nah, I kind of liked it. But, um... Anyways. So, when did you... Like, when did you personally actually start noticing a shift away from just the deep dungeon delves to more... Like, in, in... RPG-wise, like mm-hmm. from the rules, when did you start noticing the shift away from it's a dungeon delver to it's a role-play aspect? I know we're getting really off topic here, but it kind of opened up a really interesting line here.
1: Well, so the, the first... Uh, I, I never read really bought a whole lot of modules. Yeah. However, the first time I personally sought modules out for that sort of thing was Dragonlance. Huh. Uh, I read the Dragonlance novels, and I'm like, these are awesome And they were published by TSR, so you knew that they were directly D&D related. Yeah. Um, And you could find the modules in the gaming stores. And I started buying a couple of the modules. I never ran them, but those modules came with a ton of content. I mean, huge maps that you'd fold out and they're like, I I don't know, maybe three by three uh, square maps that were just awesome stuff. And so, some of the later modules, as you as you got later into a d and d and starting to get into second edition, you started seeing modules that included wilderness adventures because wilderness adventures weren't really a thing at the beginning either. Um Wilderness was just something you like uh, I think we were talking to the Discord Channel recently that the hex crawl aspect of d and d is attack on. it It wasn't there originally. Yes, there were rules for for some travel, but it wasn't a focus of the game. Um, and so the first module, I can't even remember what the first module was, but there was one module that was specifically in the wilderness and then you started seeing supplements like the Wilderness Survival Guide and things like that. So um, as it matured, people wanted story and so they started building that a little bit more.
0: that That's thats actually kind of... It, it... It sounds crazy because it's actually slightly mind-blowing for me because I've always thought, like, you know, I heard the term Dungeons Dragons, so, like, that's a clever name. But I never actually assumed that it was a pure dungeon delve game. I always kind of assumed that, you know, travel is part of it, towns are part of it. And, you know, like, you think of them how you think of them today and not just yeah. as simply, let's go hunt, go down that dungeon. That's our, that's our yeah. only...
1: That... Well, so, so th- those were important. Towns were important because that's where you'd go to to magic shops and buy your healing potions, or or go to the temple. But there weren't heck. What was the first? Uh, there there was like an urban module that came out, but that was like later in the in the setup where those first became a thing. Um, it, it wasn't even the very beginning of it. So towns were there to seed the information to get you to the dungeon. Usually there's like a wizard, I need you to go retrieve this thing, and it's in this area. And, and so there were these quest givers that would send you off to that dungeon, so you'd go there and come back Um, a lot of times. And so yeah, the, the, the original modules were all dungeons. You and, and, and the focus of those dungeons was puzzles. Like, how do you get past this thing?
0: Yeah. You you know what's absolutely insanely crazy? Literally what you were explaining with the you know, you go up to the surface and there's these towns and all that stuff. I just realized that the first Diablo video game is literally just first yes. edition Dungeons and Dragons. Yes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Like
0: to a T. Holy shit.
1: Like that's yeah. literally all it is. Uh-huh. You you went to town because that's where you could buy the stuff you needed, and then you went back. Well, heck, there there are mega dungeons. Um, I'd have to look up the name of one of them. I've got one of them that I keep wanting to convert and actually just run it. But the whole idea of this mega dungeon is you have a base of operations that you have to go to to restock and resupply, and then you go back into the dungeon because it's just that massive. Um, And then there are tons of entry points and tons of other adventuring groups that you can encounter in the in the dungeon as well, but
0: yeah. So the, we're, this is, I, I don't care if this is a session zero. No, I'm so enraptured <laughs> by this. Uh, sorry people, but we'll have to do that another day maybe. Um, so out of curiosity, how what did you notice from a shift from first edition, you know, with all the stuff once it came out, mm-hmm. but then how did it shift the rules and the gameplay when the second edition came out? Like, was that all incorporated in or did it try and keep it back down to its core basics?
1: It, it, there, there really wasn't much of a difference that I remember. Now, this has been years ago, decades ago, uh, since I played second edition D&D. There wasn't much of a difference. People will badmouth Thacko. Um, I think Thacko, hot take, people probably give me shit about it, but I, I didn't have a problem with Thacko. Because it started making things a little bit more, it made things a little bit more, as I recall, easy to, easier to calculate. If I know your armor class is now 2, and I know what I need to hit 0, it started moving in the right direction. Because originally, in AD&D, you wanted a low armor class, not a high armor class. And so that was like one of the shifts. But game-wise, there wasn't a whole lot of stuff. There was some streamlining of mechanics. They started introducing better modules. Heck, um, Tracy Hickman, a lot of what he did for D&D, and he he wrote a lot of the stuff for AD&D First Edition. Um, he, He created the Desert of Desolation modules. Uh, or or there's like three modules that happen in this area, and that's what later became the Forgotten Realms, um, or at least a part of the Forgotten Realms. But before that, if you you go to like Dungeon or whatever and have it generate a dungeon for you, it's like this random set of trails and and hallways and rooms that dead end and all sorts of stuff like that. That's what dungeons look like. And Tracy Hickman was the one who's like, this makes no sense. Why why would somebody build a dungeon like this? There there's no utility, there's no use of space. Yeah. It's it's wasted space, which makes it harder and longer to build. That's not how people build stuff. And so he was the first one to really start championing that if you're going to have a dungeon, it should one have had a purpose and be built for that purpose, and so you look at like the Desert of Desolation, yeah. um, and that that whole dungeon was designed around a pyramid. And what would be the things of that pyramid? So you find rooms where priests would have stayed, and you find um, different things like that. There, there, there's one place where it's a town, and each of the buildings is laid out like a house for a reason because that's how it would have been built, even though it's designed as a Subterranean dungeon. It, it was it's an interesting take at the time.
0: What was that it during second edition or first one? Sorry, I'm just trying to get that. It,
1: it's it's the it's like the end of the first of the first edition going into the second edition. Second edition is when you started seeing more of those types of modules. I believe I, I, I'm going to caveat that and say I believe because, like I said, I never really bought modules. I have a handful of AD and D yeah. first edition modules like uh, Barrier Peaks. But
0: that that's about it. So with the original, like, let's say the original dungeons, and this is either, like, home built, like, you know, someone made them, or from modules, which you've said that you haven't really, so you can't quite say, does it seem like in the first edition especially, um, not just from players, but also for modules, that... It was more about building a labyrinth and not so much about building an actual functioning, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. going to say, like, uh, a functional building.
1: Yeah. 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 At least it's in the early stages of D&D. It was all about, we're going to go exploring this place, and we're going to kill monsters and take their crap. I mean, we talk about murder hobos. A and d was all about being a murder hobo. It really was. And like I said, the dungeon itself was designed to test the players. Yes, there were traps, and yes, your yeah. thief would find traps, but just as frequently those traps were things that you couldn't just disarm. Um, you had to, to reason your way through stuff. And even yeah. with like Desert of Desolation, Tracy Hickman had come up with a hieroglyphic rune sort of thing, that people would have to decipher,
0: huh. so they so, could know what what's going to happen. it, it it's really crazy because as you're talking, I can even see like no wonder why Blizzard can't make any more video games. They probably only play five e. But um, <laughs> what Diablo two, I'm sorry, I'm going back to this. Literally, really? that's where you that's where you start seeing. That the map has a purpose. It's not just a dungeon that gets deeper and deeper. The maps, yeah, there is some labyrinths, you know, just because mm-hmm. it's got everybody a...
1: likes dungeons. Everybody loves dungeon delving.
0: <laughs> yeah, but even then in Diablo 2, that's where you almost have this intelligent design where you can follow a path to get here. You can follow this to get there. You are in the wilderness though. You are following the footsteps of a of a building you you know that when you go into this dungeon it's like what's the purpose of this well this is a cathedral and once it goes underneath the cathedral then there's almost like a prison type style set set up because the church was imprisoning people and you see the cells and you see it i i am so blown away that like it, it's i don't know why this is so mind-blowing for me sorry but um <laughs> it, it's so cool how you can like you can see the evolution of the hobby as you're talking from Almost like a very basic just let's go kill things mm-hmm. to all of a sudden involve adding almost like in a little bit more here, a little bit more here. Hey, look, now you can all go out into the wilderness. Hey, look, this dungeon now actually serves as a purpose and it's feels more real. And then it almost seems like as it's like first, the focus of it was straight on, like not really role playing, but yeah. as the time progressed, yeah. The role play actually came further and further. And even if you look now at modern times, like modern games that are being uh, released, there has been more and more of a focus on narrative being the core process, including us. We've talked about how we people always forget about the role play aspect of RPGs, but in reality, the role play aspect is a new aspect to the role-playing game. To some degree. Let, let's to clarify. some degree, yes. To uh, some degree.
1: I, I mean, there, there wasn't the role play of, we're going to tell a story.
0: Yeah.
1: But there was still, you had your paladin who had an alignment. And that, li- that alignment was there to help the player really, and I know there's a whole big whole thing about alignment, right? Yeah. But alignment, back in AD&D for us, I had no problems with alignment because I knew I had a lawful good paladin, I knew how that paladin was going to behave, and I could play this lawful evil thief if I wanted to really get under that paladin's skin. And so there was still some role play. You did try to play your character with a personality, and you did try to do some of that sort of stuff, but it wasn't as much of a story driven thing it's like we're gonna go and we're gonna delve this dungeon and we're gonna find stuff and we're gonna get magic items and we're gonna i mean you look at the dungeons even now i I look at what the loot is that people can find in the old dungeons and dragons modules and that loot is how you got experience points not just killing monsters killing monsters was part of it but finding loot was how you would also gain experience points and so there was a big focus on let's go find treasure because that's how my character advances. Whereas now your character advances in other ways. Yes, getting that level up is still fun and still important. But watching the story unfold where you're now dealing with somebody's backstory is a lot of fun for people. In my last yeah. Coriolis game, I, I wanted to run the Mercy of the Icons adventure path. Or, or, or modules which is a series of three books that freely put out i wanted to get to those but we never did because the characters wanted to go do something else and and it totally revolved around the backstory um in one throwaway comment it's like they were getting ready to go do something that i hadn't planned anything for and didn't feel like doing on the fly so yeah. i just had somebody show me like yes let's go do that i'm like Okay, I guess I have a completely different adventure set now. <laughs> and, and it was it was a blast, but at the end of it, everybody's like, "That was one of the most fun games we've ever had." Is w- when that whole story arc finished, and so now I'm seeing, and even in my own personal gaming, the story arcs are more rewarding than just, "Oh, we found this dungeon. Let's go kill some stuff and find find treasure." Finding treasures is fun and exciting, but that story arc and getting a conclusion to a satisfying story arc is where people are starting to go, that was
0: awesome. That's where almost like the storyteller aspect of it kind of popped Mm -hmm. up. So now that we're a hundred percent off topic, um, did you notice any advancements from like in the second edition that almost kind of expanded play? Well, I'd be hard pressed to say no. I mean,
1: second edition had a ton of other things like that. That's where you got your Ranger, uh, like Ranger's Handbook, Elf Handbook, Thieves Handbook, Psionics Handbook. I mean, there were handbooks for everything. So there were more class options there. They expanded the different. uh, I I believe second edition is where you first got your Cavalier character, which is not necessarily a Paladin, but. They're still kind of noble, that's what I mean, so yeah, there were more class options, there were tons of different things there were there were more story driven modules and things like that yeah. uh, that that were available so in that regard, yes there there were definitely more character options and and things that would allow the game to progress in different directions now,
0: oh, that's so neat, so it's actually so. 2 was more based around rounding out the the experience. Mm -hmm. Is that the best way to put it? I I would say for me and my group possibly.
1: Um, We did start getting more into the story stuff as we got old. I mean granted we were getting older as we played anyway. But there were other... The other thing to remember though is at the same time there were other games coming out that helped you make that transition for example star frontiers uh tsr's sci-fi game was not a dungeon delve that was more story driven by by itself same thing with boot hill or traveler these were games where there wasn't as much of the focus on the dungeon delving itself and more of a hey we're going to go out and explore things or uh good hill just as often as not we played bank robbers or whatever like outlaw gangs because hey <laughs> getting yeah. money is where it's at <laughs> and getting shot as a lawman for for no good reason you know let's let's go be let's go be bank robbers but at least when you're the bank robber there's more of a story you're yeah. you're having to plan your heist and you've got the law that's after you and how are you going to evade them and and how can the law get you um and, and so there there there's these personal conflicts that start coming in yeah. now and, and your nemesis could be that marshal who's constantly uh chasing you or or the ranger um who's constantly uh, on your heels, that sort of stuff. And so there were some other games starting to come out that took that focus away and, from um, just hey
0: yeah. Even
1: of- Gamma World. Gamma World was a lot of fun.
0: And Gamma, were all these TSR pro-
1: products? Gamma World, yeah, G- Gamma World was TSR. So so the, the TSR games that I remember growing up yeah. from TSR, Dungeons & Dragons, of course, the first one. Then um, Alpha... Metamorphosis Alpha, I think, was our first sci-fi game. I never saw it, never even heard of it until years later, after I'd already had the Barrier Peaks module mm-hmm. and was no longer doing TSR because it was gone. But... Um, you had like Star Frontiers, Gamma World, Boot Hill, Top Secret was their spy game. Uh, yeah, D and D, Gamma World, Star Frontiers, Boot Hill, Top. Th- those are the five that come to mind immediately for me uh, yeah. from TSR, the makers of Dungeons and Dragons. And, and of course, Top Secret. Of course, that's a whole that that is purely fo- story driven, right? I mean, that, that's that's yeah. you're a spy and you are playing a James Bond like character who's having to uncover plots and things like that. So that's that's even more of a move in that story direction path. In fact, there was an old movie based on that old TSR Top Secret game. Yeah. Oh. So the kid, I, I'm trying to remember the name of it, the kid from E.T., I think, it, in fact, I think it was called, uh, maybe the movie was called Top Secret.
0: So would you say like TSR during this time, like they released other things, and it was almost like their experimental age where they're trying out different ways? Like, was the system the same, or were the systems like? No, they were different.
1: Similar? But Boot Hill was a D one hundred system. So um, Gamma started- World was not a D twenty. I think it may have used D twenty, but it wasn't the same D twenty mechanics as Dungeons and Dragons. Star Frontiers. I'm struggling to remember Star Frontiers, but I want to say that was. Um, not necessarily percentile based, but D10 still. Yeah. it's it's been a long time since I played Star Frontiers.
0: So this is a, like this is almost like the point where they're kind of experimenting with different things to see how it works. Mm-hmm. Did you uh, did you did you play third edition too? Or I'm trying to remember.
1: Uh yeah, third edition is where we dropped off. Oh, so you didn't? Oh. Did you try out third? No. Oh yeah, yeah. We 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 played third edition. Um, I want to say. Up until 3.5, I think 3.5 was coming out, yeah. and around that time is when we made our switch from Dungeons and Dragons to Savage Worlds.
0: So, just out of, out of curiosity, did you notice, since you played some other systems from TSR, did you notice in Third Edition any kind of like additions that came from externally the the like external of the Dungeons and Dragons specific game?
1: Honestly, I don't remember much, but all all the editions of D&D for me kind of blend together. The exception being basic because they're
0: in basic D&D elf was a class, right? <laughs> I I honestly I I I I'm like I need to do like a deep fucking dive. I need to get my hands on like the first edition shit and like timeline this out in my head with Excel files and it's it's just it's, it's and that's
1: where scott is going to be your man i mean scott is going to be much scott was more into that i was yes i i gamed all the time heck i got my pe teacher to let me skip class so i could go play D D because i didn't want to do what they were doing in pe and
0: i have never been so excited about dungeons and dragons <laughs> i'm not gonna lie I this is this is like this this is the shit I fucking love. This is so cool. And like I I hate it when like games do like a new edition that doesn't really have anything in it because I find it's kind of almost a waste. Um, but like when there's some meaningful progression and alterations and changes, I'm just so for it. And I well,
1: I, I will say one of the things that I noticed between first edition. Second yeah. edition and third edition, the quality of the game did improve. That doesn't mean that the mechanics themselves improved. That there were minor modifications to the rules. By and large, to me, all of the rule sets still kind of run together. Still class based. Still d twenty based. Still this yeah. the-, the game. I mean, when you look at d anD D, it is combat focused. You are meant to be out fighting crap because there's yeah. very few social skills, um, that is all handled via roleplay, and that's it. There, there's nothing really... There's no way to really build your character socially like there are in other games like Savage Worlds where you have social yeah. edges and leadership edges and different things, right? So D&D, at its core, is a combat-focused game. Yeah. But the interesting thing is you look at the first edition artwork... Then you look at the second edition artwork and it's vastly improved and it looks cooler and there's more, there's a wider array of images. First edition Uh art, mostly dungeons, mostly monsters and mostly fighting monsters in dungeons. But as you start getting away from that, you start seeing different types of artwork, better artwork. I mean heck uh, Larry Elmore, I think it was, who did the Dragon Art or Dragonlance covers. His art became more prominent down in the second edition era as well. As I remember. <laughs> There's probably people out there going, Flyn doesn't know what he's talking about. And you're right. I know what I'm talking about from my experience of it and the groups that I played with in Arizona. Yeah. But um but yeah, I mean the, the artwork became much better higher quality, and there are more story elements. If you look at the artwork now and a lot of your D&D stuff, there is more story-focused art, it seems. Huh. Your your modules are no longer like 12 pages. They're now books because it's a, it's designed to take up a campaign, and you have a story progression of you go here, and then you go this, and you uncover this plot, and then you go do this to to thwart that plot, and there's more story to it in, in all of their Pre-written adventures now.
0: Huh. That that is actually so cool. Um, shit, yeah. That I I love. Like, I feel like this is going to branch out into a lot of different topics, and I might have to when listening to this keep notes because this was really fascinating. It's almost like a history from your perspective, and I absolutely loved it. Um, <laughs> now, I felt yeah.
1: No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead.
0: No, I. It's just I almost feel like this turned almost into me interviewing you. I absolutely <laughs> freaking loved it. Um, so for
1: posterity, for posterity, <laughs> I'm going to interview an old man.
0: <laughs> I I like that how this started off as session zero, and I think that was like three minutes this, in, and we're this, like this
1: this is the session zero for our session zero.
0: <laughs> this is session zero for our session zero. That um, so. Just out of curiosity, because you were there at the beginning of, of Savage and you went all the way through. Has there been much that has changed in Savage? Oh, no, no. It, it, have there been changes and improvements? Absolutely. The way
1: certain things work, um, they, they've introduced uh, more more options for for different things, like dramatic tasks, like quick combat, like yeah. uh, new new things that you can do when you're fighting, right? So, like, uh, Wild Attack and things like that. But, by and large, like Dungeons & Dragons, most of the stuff is backwards compatible. Yeah. Yes, they've dropped things like charisma, but if you're playing an old first edition Savage Worlds game and you see a creature that has charisma, you just ignore that and you give it uh, an appropriate edge that gives them a bonus to their persuasion or their performance skill, right? So... The rules differences are minor and better as you go forward. In fact, uh, Shane Hensley has stated that this suede is the last edition of Savage Worlds. Everything from here on out is going to be minor tweaks and options, but there's not going to... Like 5e is supposed to be the final edition of Dungeons & Dragons, Shane Hensley has stated that Savage Worlds, where it is right now, is, is where he wants it.
0: Yeah, there's nothing else to improve on that. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting.
1: So you can look at it as like, uh, what are we, nearly 20 years now of Savage Worlds? Um, when I did think come out, 2003?
0: 2003? I,
1: I, I believe it was 2003-ish time frame. Yeah. Um, oh. I'd, I'd have to look it up. But still, if you think about it, that's like 20-some years. Or, or l- l- let's go even less than that. right? Let's say that it's only been around for 15 years. Yeah. 15 years of playtesting to get us where we are
0: yeah and
1: and that's what dungeons and dragons has been right i mean you think about if it's from 80s late 70s to 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 now that's 30 plus years of playtesting dungeons and dragons there's not much more that you can go unless you want to completely revamp the system at this point
0: yeah oh that's pretty cool
1: in my opinion
0: yeah (laughs) no 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 I
1: like. That's it. like all the bands who say we're done making records until they run out of money. and need to make a new record. Right? <laughs> so. Yep. So, will this be the last version of Savage Worlds? Who knows? Will it be the last version of Dungeons Dragons? Who knows? Maybe. <laughs>
0: but I won't be surprised if, they're like, oh, you know what? <laughs> I could see this this actually being the last edition of Suede because they you can like they could be very happy with the rules and the rest of its settings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Dungeons & Dragons it's, I'm sorry, it's owned by Hasbro like, it's not the last if they can pump out a new edition down the line and make even more money, they'll do it. Even if they just call it Edition 5.1 or 5.5 which, it's revamped the style this is going to totally be what Well, and and you know, the the interesting thing about this is
1: like, like you said, this could be the last version of Savage Worlds here on out it's settings, right? Great. The Savage Worlds mechanics support that. They were written to be yeah. generic in terms of genre, right? Yeah. Dungeons and Dragons I see things like their sci-fi settings for for 5E and it just doesn't grab me because I don't no. feel the rules support it. I, no, I don't no, think the no, core no. mechanics of Dungeons and Dragons can truly
0: do anything beyond. It's advanced. not, a, it's not meant to, it can't, you can't change the like the genre, you can change the setting, but unfortunately, yeah. like, and this is just from my own perspective, but with 5e, I don't feel like pre-built settings is really what anyone really wants nowadays. Yeah. Because everyone likes to create their own. Even if it's just a ripoff of something else, people prefer to create their own. I didn't even know there was settings in D&D until, like, until I stopped playing it. Like,
1: Well, and, and originally there wasn't. Originally, D&D was a generic fantasy game. Mm-hmm. It, it, later on, you start hearing more about Gary Gygax's Greyhawk, and then that Greyhawk becomes a published campaign role that you can play in. Then you have Forgotten Realms, which is not the same thing as Greyhawk. Then you have some other things, but it's still fantasy. Yeah. I, I don't believe... I, I, I truly feel if TSR felt the Dungeons & Dragons mechanics could have fit Star Frontiers, they would have used it. But it didn't make sense to use Dungeons & Dragons mechanics for a sci-fi game. Yeah. Same thing with Boot Hill. It didn't make sense to use the, boot, or the, the, the Star Frontiers mechanics in Boot Hill. Um, because you're going for different things. And that's where I do like Savage Worlds being generic, is that it it does allow itself to branch out and do other things. And this could be the the point for one of the other topics that we've discussed in the past is, what are these, I'm going to say, generic systems that can be used for other types of settings, like Savage Worlds, like Year Zero, like PBTA, like... Whatever and and what makes them generic enough that they can do other genres.
0: And this will kind of pop into another topic in some future multiple episodes that we've been talking about. So I'm not going to go too much in depth, but it's it's interesting now because especially you know the the one thing and I'm going to say this kind of loosely the one thing that kind of happened with the OGL debacle for 5e that I think was actually extremely beneficial for the hobby. In a weird way, is when D and D tried to change their OGL and they lost the trust. Other companies were like, you know, and whether this is just them taking advantage of the situation, they're like, hey, why don't you guys use our system again? It's free. Here you go. And now we have so many different systems out there that before were just like, yeah, this was Free League's thing. This was, you know, Blades in the Dark system. This was. You know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But now we have such a selection of systems in order to put in our own games and we can really see what each system offers and how we can really tailor, like take those systems, like not just our favorite one, because like I know you said Suede's your favorite one, but there will be games we'll out let's there. Let's that. I'm, I'm going to
1: say it's my preferred.
0: Your preferred. Okay, your preferred system. Um, But... Nowadays, if you wanted to design a game, you would really have a pick of the litter, and you and it might not necessarily be. I want to build. I have an idea for a game. Should I just use my favorite system? And nowadays, the answer is no. Shop around. Take a look at what the other systems have to offer, because you might find out your idea that you thought was a great idea, but you're figuring out how to put it into the system. Now you could just be like, wait a minute. I, I'm trying to make a sandbox where I have like a group of people doing X, Y, Z. Well, wh- I can use Forge in the dark. Yeah. Or, you know, there's so many different like, and I'm just using that one as an example. But there's so many games that do so many things so well when it's geared towards a certain kind of perspective, and it's it's crazy that now we have that ability to take advantage of all those free systems yeah well, you know, uh, this is where i I really
1: feel people who play only Dungeons and Dragons do themselves a disservice. If you started with Dungeons and Dragons and that's the only thing you've played and the only thing you're you are playing and are ever going to play, get out of that and go play something else. even if you go back to it, that's fine. Go back to it. once you've once you've tasted some of these other systems, go back to Dungeons and Dragons. And I will guarantee you, your Dungeons and Dragons game will be enhanced. And that's, I mean, even though I prefer Savage Worlds and I only play Savage Worlds for the most part with a group of friends of mine, um, and the reasons we do that are not because it's the only system that works for us, but it's the only system that was generic enough that we could play any sort of game we wanted, one, without having to learn new rules every single time. And spend time doing that because that we're all 50 plus men with families, and we are too busy to all of us have to one buy a new rule book, read the new rule book, generate characters, play that game for who knows how long. And oh, you know what? Now we're done, we're bored with sci fi, so let's go back to this. So, as a group, that's why we made the conscious decision to switch to Savage Worlds because we were playing Savage Worlds, we were playing Dungeons and Dragons, we were playing. Um World of Darkness, we were playing Trinity, and we're like, all these things can be done with a generic rule system. Let's just switch to that, keep everything simple. It, it takes the load off of us cognitively and even socially within our families and our, our scheduling. So, that, that's why we did it. But, I will say, playing these other game systems like Year Zero, there are things that I take from Year Zero and bring them into Savage Worlds because it makes my Savage Worlds game better because Year Zero has some really cool mechanics that Savage Worlds may not cover.
0: No, it's great. Like, I was even just thinking because this happened to me more recently and I was kind of blown away with it, but I didn't say anything because I was just like, you know, it's probably... But I was talking with um, a friend who is a designer who designed some stuff for 5e, right? And I was I was kind of I knew this, so I was talking with him about it. And I remember I mentioned Blades in the Dark, which is a very, very well known RPG at mm-hmm. this point. And this guy's been designing and he's like, I don't I have no he's like, I don't know what that is.
1: I was like, Man, I, he's I, like, he's say, like I don't know either.
0: No, no, I've, I've heard, of, heard it of it and it. I have it, but I've never read it. But he's only <laughs> been in the five E he's only been five oh. E crowd. And the fact is it's essentially unless it's not Pathfinder. He didn't know what any of the other ones were, and I it oh, just wow. blows my and it just blows my mind. And I'm wondering how, like, because I know people who listen to this podcast, they they'll have an idea of what all these games are, and if they've probably heard ones that they haven't. Just like I've heard ones that you guys have said that I've never known. I keep on learning about new ones, but the fact that within some of these communities, they've it's not even that they've never experienced these other games. It's they have never even heard of other games. And it blows my mind considering how this is like someone playing video games and only knowing that of call of duty. Like, (laughs) like, which I bet you those success or FIFA. Um, but Cut damn! This will open up a line of dialogue that I'm going to have to write down a few things on. So on that note, folks, I think that's oh, all. Hold, hold on, thing. I've got one more. I've got oh. one more thing for you. Shoot, shoot, shoot. The, the other thing that I've
1: realized today as I was thinking about this topic <laughs> was I also now understand one of my Kickstarter problems,
0: huh.
1: and that is, basic Dungeons and Dragons, Expert Edition Dungeons and Dragons came in boxes. You, you want to do the, a box. You, you you had the rule book, you had the dice, you had maybe some character sheets. Everything you needed to play the game was in a box. And I find myself so drawn to boxed sets that I buy them even when I know I'm not going to
0: you do freaking too. play that
1: game. You do too all the time. I just hear oh. it's like, Yeah, I got the box set of this. I bought the are you planning on playing it? No, but nope. I got it. You've love... I've got the box set of um What is it? It's the new Monty Cook game, telling stories to the devil or something like that, or stealing stories for the devil.
0: Yeah. yeah. Anyway,
1: it's a big freaking box.
0: I have never owned a box in my life. Don't buy one because as soon as you buy one, it's like
1: for the one ring.
0: I'm waiting. I bought the one ring
1: starter set for the box even though the, the core rulebook doesn't come in a box. <laughs> so, I, I got uh, the core rulebook and I had to get the starter set, even though everything I've got, I already got in the quarter. In the I am
0: card. waiting. I do have from Kickstarter. I've only gotten one box set. Can you, can you <laughs> ask which one? Uh, it was Zone Wars? No. Oh, Kraken. No. Space Kraken. No. You, did, you got the box set of this one too.
1: And you, you haven't know, received it yet,
0: you said? Haven't received it yet.
1: Which means I haven't received it yet.
0: No nope. I, 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 I don't know. Wait, with a mothership. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> yeah, we're still both waiting for that one. And for the and normally, I don't order unless it's like your you and Scott stuff, I usually don't order a book, but I have ordered uh, a while ago, not only the book. But the special edition, li- like the limited edition, special edition book, and that was for a game <laughs> called Astro Inferno, which both you guys were like, "Oh, I don't know." I was, I was like, "It looks so cool, though," and I can't wait to show you. And then you'll be like, "Yeah, it does look really fucking cool." And I'll be like yeah, look at this special edition book I got. <laughs> Just for that, I'm gonna say, man, that looks like shit. <laughs>
1: Even though inside, I may be going, "That's really cool looking." I should have got it. I, I will <laughs> say, I'm, I'm kicking myself. I am kicking myself for not having picked up the Kickstarter Fallout 10.
0: Um, I'm not, because, like, it's, it's yeah, it's a 2D20. But did
1: you go to Kickstarter no. and see what that 10 included? No. Oh, dude, that 10 was gorgeous. Hmm. Absolutely gorgeous. I do. I, and... I, I I've never played 2D20, so I can't say anything about that. Yeah. But i'm not opposed to trying it I, i'm not either I, I i've heard good things from some people i've heard it's still real rules heavy but um i've heard people talk good
0: things about conan isn't it is well i don't even think because i was i was reading the fallout rpg today um and it seems like it is more focused on narrative because the ranges I Like I, I was just glancing at it and the ranges are like short medium Melee, but even the uh, the only other 2d20 system I know is that superheroes one, and that one is again mostly supposed to be a narrative game. So, what what 2d20 superheroes game? I'll have to pull up on my phone, uh, mutant something something. Oh, mutant chronicles, uh, mute. Was it mutants and mastermind? The one I'm That's d20,
1: of? not 2d20. Oh, then it's not mutant. that one. Of. No. i have too Mm. because modifius 2d20 is Modifius' system Mm. and so you got things like meeting chronicles conan fallout um oh what was that other video Mm. game one dishonored
0: Dishonored. maybe i'm mixing up games then i'll have to like look through (laughs) i have too many games um Oh, and if I'm not mistaken, Modifius is also in
1: charge of the World of Darkness uh, stuff now as well.
0: Yeah, I, is that Modifius? I think. No, 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 no. no. Uh, Modifius. I thought was Catalyst who had World of Darkness.
1: They may own the rights, but Modifius is in charge of the production and the modules and things like that. So uh, at least that, that was the arrangement that was uh, now granted. I, I'm old and time slips by really fast, but it feels like that was just like last year or the year before maybe a couple of years ago where that sort of happened but like Onyx Path took the the Trinity stuff but Modiphius took over charge of production for other stuff and why because Modifius, like Free League has killer production quality well, when it comes to game companies yeah. I, I don't care what you say I I have not found books that are more beautifully produced okay. than Free League and Modiphius, Wh- which breaks my heart because I really wish Savage Worlds could get that kind of production going. But
0: yeah, you know. Okay, so th- is okay. So White Wolf Entertainment mm-hmm. is the company that technically manufactures it, and it's yes. Do you know Correct. who actually owns White Wolf
1: nowadays? Yeah, no clue.
0: Paradox Interactive, which is a video game company.
1: Okay, now, <laughs> now <Yeah. laughs> yeah, I, I will say for our session zero, let's put VTM on that list of why do you need a session zero? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I really think Vampire the Masquerade. Requires a session zero if you're gonna do it. Oh,
0: a hundred percent. That is definitely one that has a session zero. But anyway, as a
1: GM, Malkavians
0: are out. <laughs> as a player,
1: Malkavians are in. Oh, that's
0: no Malkavians was one of the ones I like, but I'm still I would still be a Nosferatu. of course you would. Of course I would. Why you wouldn't be a
1: Nosferatu? <laughs> that's what you need to do. <laughs>
0: Doesn't work. They're two different bloodlines. Crazy, bro. You crazy, bro. And on that note, folks, that's all the time we have for today. As Finder said something incredibly dumb, and I hope everyone has a great week. And we'll see you next time. Bye bye.
1: Later.